Hello, this is the Rx for Biotech podcast. I am your host, Chris Lidley. Today, our guest is Dr. Chandra Ramanathan. Chandra is a biopharmaceutical executive, and he's got extensive experience translating scientific ideas into treatment options and access for patients with high unmet medical needs. I'm excited to have Chandra as our guest today because I believe he's got a unique perspective to share with, with our audience. Since he's led development strategy for several pipeline assets in his pharma, biotech, and academic roles from early stage discovery all the way through commercialization. So Chandra, welcome. Thank you for joining the podcast today. How are you? Hey, Chris. Uh, good morning. And glad to be here and look forward to the discussion. Great. I, I thought maybe we would start. I was really intrigued by the work you were doing at Bayer. Um, you had a number of, of interesting roles. You were at Bayer for many years, for more than a decade. But in those roles, I, I know that you you were you're heading Bayer's Open Innovation Center for North America. And you've I also know you've had extensive global launch team leader experience as head of global oncology pipeline marketing. So maybe let's start maybe with your um, global launch leader experience, pipeline marketing. Kind of, you know, you have unique experience in kind of understanding how big pharma companies make resource allocation decisions, how they think about innovation and new assets. Tell us a little bit about what you did there, and then I'd love to hear about kind of how you transitioned and what you did at the Innovation Center. So, so Chris, when we met, uh, we were both in the oncology marketing teams. We we shared a common purpose that we were trying to get new innovative options for patients and the commercial role enabled that. So we were bringing uh, new drugs, we launched few drugs and we worked on a few things together. So while I was doing that and my thinking was, we learned we learned, a, we learned a lot about what the unmet needs are, the patient needs, the payer needs, and also the, the market dynamics. My thinking went more into uh, having all this information and trying to apply uh, to an asset that's at, the, that's at the very last stage. Instead, can we get those very late stage patient and uh, customer kind of thinking very early in decision making? Can we go into much earlier before a product is formed? So can we go into an idea stage? So that kind of made me look into, can I go earlier into innovation? And uh, I made a pivot from a commercial role into a, a what I would call it like a, a translation officer type of a role. You take a scientific idea, you translate into something like an asset that will serve or address an unmet medical need. So that was a transition, like in terms of being in the commercial, learn about the customers, the patients, the unmet medical needs, and now transition into something I can apply at a very early stage. Interesting, that, that makes a lot of sense. I know you've always had a lot of intellectual curiosity and then we're always driven by the science. I mean, I mean, share a little bit about what your role as the head of open innovation from North America at Bayer, what did that look like? That was a that was a new role, uh, not only for you, but for Bayer, right? So uh, the Bayer had a strong presence in the West Coast. And I came to Boston to establish Bayer in the Boston ecosystem. 
So the North America East role, it's new they created. So I started as the head of North America East and became the global head of uh, Bayer Pharma Open Innovation. And the work is uh, kind of like you can divide into four categories or four pillars, Chris. The first one, I had the privilege of uh, with a team managing more than 50 partnerships. I'll be very happy to talk about it. And with the goal of working with the partners and translating those ideas into scientific assets. The second one is when you have a team that is that is entrenched in different innovation ecosystems around the world, you hear about a lot of good ideas. So we created something called co-creation. So our goal is to identify scientific opportunities even before someone realizes it has a breakthrough potential. So we co-created opportunities. The third one is public-private partnerships. And Chris, after COVID-19, as humanity, we are facing challenges. Not a single company or a single country or a single organization can handle it. So uh, public-private partnership is a unique way we get all the partners together towards a common goal. The fourth one is being part of the innovation ecosystem and mentor the next generation of innovators. So when I first came to Boston, I had a kind of a guiding principle, contribute first before leveraging value. So I made it a point to become a mentor for many startups. I took a faculty role at Tufts University teaching students. So uh, contribute first. So part of it, I uh, got entrenched in the Boston or got deeper into the Boston ecosystem. And uh, currently, I'm a board member at MassBio. And within the board, I chair the innovation committee. And very recently, I also took a board role at uh, McLean Hospital, kind of thinking about innovation in an area that uh, is very much required, neuropsychiatry. I'm wondering, I mean, I'd certainly love to hear about, you know, through your roles as innovation head, what do you believe are the most exciting areas of scientific innovation today? What modalities or mechanisms do you think um, you're seeing most investment or are the most exciting areas for investment? Chris, that's a very important question. And for me, the most exciting areas are those where there's a huge unmet medical need. And we are looking at uh, those areas where there is a convergence of science, the advances in science, and also technology, if possible, we can apply to address patient needs. So uh, if you look at the investment right now, and if you take the Boston as an example, close to 40% of uh, investment dollars in this ecosystem go go towards uh, oncology. The second one is uh, orphan rare diseases, around like 20%. Then it goes into neurology and different and uh, various other indications. So from an investor perspective, some of the exciting areas are in, uh, in cancer and orphan rare diseases, disease space. Yeah, you mentioned neuroscience earlier, Chandra, and I know there. You know, this has been an area of a lot of uh, you know press lately with uh, what's going on at Biogen and and uh, you know Alzheimer's disease. So, what what do you what are your thoughts on bringing back neuroscience innovation? Where's the interest right now there? 
interest, Chris, is driven by patient needs. There are two key things happening in the world right now. The one is we have a shadow pandemic of mental health crisis. And uh, at a pre-pandemic level, the global cost of mental health was estimated to be close to $6 trillion. Okay, that is pre-pandemic. Currently, uh, this is a major unmet medical need uh, affecting people throughout the globe. The second aspect that's happening is people are living longer. So with aging, there are several neurodegeneration, uh, neurodegenerative diseases and neurological diseases will become more and more common. So World Health Organization ranks neuroscience as the number one disability. And this is going to get even only worse as time progresses. So uh, what has happened with neuroscience? And let me talk about the most challenging uh, neuropsychiatry. Uh, it's been challenging because one, drug development is, is, is a big, uh, is a challenge. And uh, the endpoints required to develop a drug or the placebo effect and things like that, there are a lot of challenges. That's on the negative side. On the positive side, there is a science has really advanced. Our understanding of the brain has, has grown even deeper. And also there are technology like digital platforms we can leverage. So what we are trying to do is, I'll give a very good clear example is uh, working with a McLean Hospital they are number one hospital in the world in terms of mental health. They have a very strong research unit. And if I am an innovator in, uh, um, in neuropsychiatry, as an example, I don't have to like uh, really build the resources in terms of pharmacology, imaging, access to data, access to clinical insights, everything. If we can create an incubator led by McLean Hospital, then won't it be very nice It'll uh, someone wants to get into the space, they can do the science, but they can leverage the, they can address the complexity of the neuroscience, leveraging all the resources available within the McLean Hospital. So we are thinking uh, uh, about an initiative like that. And also the other aspect of uh, neuroscience is neurodegeneration. You rightly talked about Alzheimer's. Uh, we hope uh, as we get uh, more and more, uh, as we understand our uh, pharmacology and come up with like uh, a better way of like translating the whatever the preclinical pharmacology we see into a functional benefit for patients, I think the field will really make some advancements there. And the third one is neurology. We are seeing many neurolog many neurological diseases are genetically driven. So if there are like clear targets, then we can see some breakthroughs. Well, while we're talking about different therapeutic area innovations, Looking beyond neuroscience, what are the other different disease areas um, that you think are um, important to focus? Where, where should we be focusing uh, beyond neuroscience? Uh, I would say uh, oncology, and uh, in spite of all the advancements for certain types of cancers, as you know, Chris, you are an expert in this field. It's the for patients, it's pretty much a death sentence. So we definitely need to focus more into it. And I think, Chris, what I would like to really focus here is maybe we should kind of like use the innovation to change the discussion from disease state and things like that and think about how with innovation we can go from a patient care with different diseases 
to something like uh, what you call a human care. Let me define it. So right now we are managing the diseases. I think the science has advanced to a level that we can think broadly about two areas. I think we should go deeper into it and I really wish, Chris, we spend a lot of energy into it. The first one is uh, with advances in cell and gene therapy, we can contemplate cure in many indications uh, now. I think we should think about be transformative and think about curing a disease than just managing it. Then the second one is, as they say, prevention is better than cure. We should also think about prevention. So are there things we learn more about uh, the disease biology? We can actually prevent it, prevent the disease before even it becomes an issue. So I think I feel that the innovation as we think about like the future, we should focus more on areas where we can really cure and also focus on places where we can prevent. So what comes top to mind, Chandra, when you think about areas that we can really impact to cure now? I mean, what, what modalities would pop up to the top of your list? So if you kind of like go from a very simple to the kind of complex one, the first one is we always say about 7,000 plus orphan or rare diseases or more of like 7,000 plus monogenic diseases. Theoretically, these monogenic diseases can be good candidates for gene therapy. Of course, we are thinking about the challenges and everything, but the thing is, so uh, those monogenic diseases could be a good area where we can make an impact. The second one I can think of is regenerative medicine. So we are already seeing that we can take pluripotent, induced pluripotent stem cells and reprogram them into a certain uh, cell type of choice. For example, neuronal cells, cardiomyocytes. So you can think of it for the disease you are looking into it. I think that could be an area where uh, we can see a big growth. The third one I would like to say is, uh, since we talked a lot about oncology, if we can bring the concept of cure in the field of, in, in, the, the, in, in oncology, we have made some very good progress with cell therapies in he malignancies. And uh, if we can uh, find out a way to address solid tumors, uh, that will be of big benefit. So I think that could be an area uh, that will see some huge growth. And uh, if you see the investments going into that area, it's gaining a lot of investor traction. Then the third one I would say is more of technology enabling these cell and gene therapies. For example, uh, it could be like gene editing. You can talk about capsid, better manufacturing, and the whole thing around bioprocessing. I think uh, all these enabling technologies are uh, equally important. And uh, I think that combined with uh, a therapeutic purpose, like a, a specific gene or a, uh, or a target we are going after, uh, I think those areas will, become, uh, will be more important. So given that... Um, given those areas uh, that you mentioned, Chandra, what, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges? A lot of these new modalities were in, were in what, blue, blue sky, so to speak. These are sort of new to the world modalities and mechanisms. What, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges in bringing these advanced biologics and other innovations to market? The, the first one is the entire thing around manufacturing. 
in biologics, as people say, process is a product. So we need to think about the process, a GMP process, and uh, much, much earlier in terms of the innovation cycle. And Chris, both of us work in the small molecule space. We think about manufacturing uh, at a large scale when we have a, when the asset is in phase three or something like that. So now uh, we need to think about that type of the manufacturing robustness much earlier in the life cycle. So uh, I think that will be a challenge. So the, the question becomes, do we have the right technologies and also the type of partnership we need to think about that can make it happen. Okay. And Chris, we need to talk about partnerships and how they're important. So I think that's one. Then the second one is we, it's easy to say that if it's a monogenic disease, we can just like, uh, um, we can just uh, use gene therapy. There are challenges in terms of immunogenicity, are we reaching the right targets? Is a payload or the size of the vector or the size of the gene you carry? There are limitations. And I think we need to think all, all, all about, uh, we need to think about those type of issues also. And uh, other thing, Chris, I was at the World Medical Innovation Forum organized by Mass General Brigham a, a week back. Learn, learn more about the ongoing trials. And currently there are more than 1,800 ongoing clinical trials in the space, more than 900 companies. So we have to ask ourselves, uh, are we doing more of the same? Are we really differentiated? And we need to make sure that we kind of like team or collaborate in areas, avoid duplication, because end of the day, our goal is to reach patients as quickly as possible. So Chandra, you mentioned partnerships and what have you seen in your experience um, are some of the best practices with these partnerships and alliances? For example, be curious to see what, what you believe are the best practices in working directly with scientists and clinical investigators to identify and then advance new tech towards commercialization. Uh, Chris, uh, alliance management, it's going to be very critical for the success of any partnerships. So when you think about a partnership, the first thing is, uh, the partnership was created with certain value in mind and we need to make sure that the alliance delivers on that okay that is the main thing that we need to focus on while we are doing that uh, as we manage the partnership uh, there will be there should be flexibility in terms of handling non scientific non technical issues then whenever we have two organizations working together, there will always be conflicts. It could be very simple. It could be legal. So we need to make sure that we have a process in place to manage those conflicts. Then we need to uh, make sure that we track the alliance. It's very important that we have like certain goals, KPIs, and make sure that the alliance is tracking towards that. And the last one, when we when we form partnerships, we need to invest on the personnel. We need to make sure that we have a right people, alliance managers managing those partnerships. I think, Chris, if you do all the, all these things right, we we will have a partnership that not only delivers but can exceed in value. So, Chandra, what what do you see as the future of open innovation? So, Chris, the future is the innovation we need to access at 
at a much earlier stage than what we're doing right now. I think I see the future is academic institutions will play a major role. Most of the innovations come from academic institutions. And the question becomes, by the time it comes to uh, uh, investors or by the time it comes to uh, industry attention, I think sometimes it could be like uh, too late or I think uh, we should start paying attention much earlier in the innovation cycle so that we can actually co-create the ideas. So the future I see as more of the innovation is going to be earlier in terms of life cycle. The innovation is going to be global. And I think the innovation is going to be in places where there is a convergence of science and technology. But also more important is, I think the innovation, I feel, it's also going to be in places where they have a very good diversity of people who can work together, challenge themselves, and go to and work towards a common goal. So Chandra, this, is, this has been really insightful uh, speaking with you as, as, as it always is when, when, I, when, when we get together. I'm wondering as we wrap up the podcast here, if you want to, you know, any last advice that you would have for our audience around how emerging biotechnology companies um, need to be thinking about commercializing novel therapeutics. The true north is addressing patient needs. So the company should think about how they can accelerate the translation of scientific innovation they're working on to bring the options to patients quicker. They should have a very good clarity on the unmet medical need and differentiation. And they need to ensure that they take those insights that will benefit patients very early in the decision-making. And from an investor perspective, kind of like formulate a path forward that gives the people the confidence that we are working towards a goal and the innovation, when it translates, it will be a product that will be that will transform patients' lives. Well, thank you, Chandra, for your time today. What's the best way for our audience to contact you if they'd like to, to speak with you and learn more? So, Chris, two ways. The best is LinkedIn. My name, Chandra Ramanathan. When they put in LinkedIn, they can get it. Or they can go through my first name, underscore last name, at yahoo.com. Well, Chandra, I just, just want to thank you again. Uh, it's been a really insightful uh, interview today. And uh, we thank you very much. Hey, Chris, my pleasure. And uh, great working with you.